Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. GM, I'm Dan Roberts. I'm Stacey Elliott. And this is GM from Decrypt. Okay, GM, Stacy, welcome back on and hitting a topic that we haven't hit yet in the lifetime of the GM podcast. We're going to dive deep. What is it? Mining. I'm so excited. I've been wanting to Ooh. talk about mining on the podcast for a long time. Bitcoin mining. It's a growth industry. It's hot and it's hot button. It's controversial. Yeah. And it, I mean, it, Everyone went through a rough time last year, but I remember seeing and hearing specifically that miners were really hit hard. I mean, like we were seeing reports late last year that for some like in big companies, it wasn't even worth turning their rigs on because they just weren't going to be profitable because prices were so bad and, you know, energy was so expensive last year. So, I mean, it's it's interesting to talk about one of the companies that came out of that and is doing well now. Yes. Hut 8. We have the CEO of Hut 8, Jamie Leverton. Um, and it's a reminder too, you know, whenever people talk about Coinbase, they say, you know, the only publicly traded U.S. exchange. That's a big, um, notable characteristic and a feather in its cap. They're publicly traded. And Coinbase uses that in its marketing to try to engender trust from consumers. Well, in the mining space, you know, that's an example of there are a number of publicly traded, you know, mining companies. Um, Hut Eight is public in in Canada as well as in the U.S. with a with a dual listing. Um, and they're not the only ones, but of course, regulation is a huge issue for mining, but in a different way than regulation has become an issue for like other crypto companies where it's all about is our token a security. That's not the problem for these mining companies, but they have to worry about, you know, energy use and, and local restrictions. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've seen, there's been countless examples, I think, of the whole NIMBY dynamic kind of coming into play, not in my backyard I don't want a mining facility in my town kind of thing. And, you know, you you do have to wind up doing some public relations, some engagement with communities to kind of make sure that, you know, people aren't going to be picketing outside your data center. <laughs> totally. We're not evil. We're not evil. We're not a yeah. scourge on the rainforest. Um, great. Well, we'll bring on Jamie Leverton. Uh, let's get into it. Okay, Jamie Leverton, GM, welcome. Thanks for joining. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Stacy and I have been excited for this. We haven't uh, done a big Bitcoin mining episode, and there's a lot we want to geek out on. Uh, why don't we just start this way? You know, we'll get into all the recent news about Hut 8 and everything you guys are up to specifically, but why don't you give us like the 40 foot view of where things stand, like sentiment wise, in your world, in the Bitcoin mining world? Because we've recently had more kind of DeFi guests and uh, a lot of understandable agita in that world right now about the SEC and tokens. You sort of don't have to deal with that, but have to deal with your your own headaches that are specific to mining. How do you feel right now as, as we talk in March 2023? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a big question. Certainly the, the zeitgeist surrounding crypto right now is uh, tumultuous. There's a lot of negative sentiment, I think. Um, it really kicked off with the fallout of, of FTX, and, and that continues to kind of reverberate across the industry. Um, l last week or two weeks ago now, we had the issues with, uh, with Silvergate and Signature, um, and, we're, and then just earlier this week, we see the CRTC coming with auction against Binance. So uh, there's no end of excitement continuing in crypto, and the sentiment is broadly negative from a headline perspective. I would say from uh, from the mining space in particular, um, because we are really more of an infrastructure um, group of companies, that's really what we are. We're the, we're the plumbing for, for Bic the Bitcoin blockchain, for lack of a better term. And that is currently kind of out of the headlines from a, from a regulatory perspective. They're, they're really 
more focused on people that are interacting with with end consumers or you know exchanges staking and um, not so much on the infrastructure side but given that we're still in the space something we're watching very very closely um and we we had most of the pain that came into the mining uh group of companies we saw last year when uh, when the bear market really came we saw um a lot of people that had taken a lot of leverage in the bull market and and some of the fallout from that was really more of a 2022 um trend for the mining space and and in 23 so far it, it's been it's been much more focused on uh, the exchanges so far cautious yeah. optimism fingers crossed yeah um, I wanted to ask because uh, miners are kind of in this unique position where, you know, you have bull and bear market problems because I do remember hearing years ago that, you know, in the middle of the bear market in this big mining run, like people couldn't get rigs. You were having trouble getting, Correct. you know, facilities set up. So like Absolutely. there's there's problems on both sides of it, no matter what the market's doing. Um, and I remember being really intrigued to hear that you guys had set up a, your own repair facility you know, and here's a way to solve several problems, really, is just you can repair your own machines, but then you can also, you know, generate some more revenue by repairing other people's rigs that now don't have to be sent back out to the manufacturer. Um, so talk to me a little bit about, I guess, just kind of, you know, finding ways to to persevere through all these market cycles. Yeah, I think I think the headache story is an interesting one. We are we're one of the first uh, Bitcoin mining companies to go public back in early 2018. Uh, so we've we've been a public company in a few of these market cycles now. Uh, I took over the the helm at HUD eight in December of 2020, so uh, over two years ago now. And and at that time we were just coming out of the last bear market. The bull the bull market was just starting to heat up, and um, and because we had weathered the bear market the way that we had when I when I took over the company, one of the things that we were really focused on doing in the bull market was preparing ourselves for a different different way to face the cycles of the industry. Uh, and so I really focused in the first year on fortifying the, fortifying the balance sheet. Uh, we became the first Canadian public miner to dual list onto the NASDAQ, which gave us increased access to obviously capital markets and, and liquidity. And we also were very intentional about, uh, about diversifying the business. So bringing on fiat-based revenue streams initially uh, by earning yield from a portion of the Bitcoin we hold on our balance sheet. Um, as you may know, we were we were the first public company to start holding Bitcoin on balance sheet mm -hmm. well, be well before Michael Saylor made it famous. Um, and so, so that was a, kind of our first our first foray into a, in a into a fiat stream. We also did uh, some hosting of of um, other Bitcoin miners at our facility mm -hmm. in Medicine Hat. Uh, and then we set up a repair center, which uh, was a was a way to to get an, an incremental fiat based revenue stream, also save costs, but mm -hmm. most importantly, um, reduce our environmental footprint by not having to sh to ship in and out, um, and then also accelerate our uptime by being able to do the the repairs on site, which is less mm -hmm. downtime for the individual miners that were under repair. Uh, and then ultimately, we did the transaction, which closed at the end of January uh, last year to purchase the high performance computing data centers from another public Canadian company called Terago. Mm -hmm. And that really uh, was a, um, a our, our most significant diversification play where we brought on these five data centers with uncorrelated uh, fiat-based revenue to Bitcoin mining. It's, uh, we have 370 enterprise customers from a variety mm -hmm. of different industries doing cloud co-location managed services. Um, and then we're really, we've really continued on that uh, trajectory of building a much more diversified, scaled business as we, as we look to this um, pending merger with USBTC. You mentioned being publicly traded, Jamie, and I wanted to ask about that. Um, what does being public do for you guys? I mean, in both Canada and the U.S., because I wouldn't think, obviously, that it gives anyone like full protection. But uh, what has happened with Coinbase, I think, is surprising to a lot of people with the SEC. Now, obviously, that's more about staking, or at least this latest incident is about staking, among many other things. But um, Brian Armstrong, I thought, made a good point. The CEO of Coinbase tweeted out, you know, when we went public, we use the word staking like 50 times in our, our 8K form or our 10K, I should say, or our S1 filing. 
Mm. And we were approved and we went public. And now this happens three years later. Um, So you do have to wonder uh, what being public does versus, say, being a totally decentralized entity, a Uniswap. Does it really help uh, mean that, you know, you're viewed by regulators in a more buttoned up way? Very difficult question to answer, of course, because the landscape is is constantly evolving. I think Brian's done an incredible job um, as far as how he's he's handling and communicating the Wells notice. I think it's I think it is incredibly brave that that he as a leader and Coinbase as a company um, stepped out in front of it, and they're I think they're paving the way for the industry in general. I think broadly. Uh, we owe them uh, gratitude for for being the trailblazers in that space. It's not an easy thing to do, but ultimately it's what's required in order for this industry to mature, to become professionalized, to get thoughtful regulation in place, and ultimately you know drive this innovation forward in the way that makes the most sense uh, for all constituents involved. So uh, certainly my hat's off to Brian. I wanted to jump back to the the high performance computing bit you talked about. You said that's probably most the most significant um, part of you know revenue diversification you guys have done. Um, and then I do know that, it, and it's interesting because we I have to admit we talk about AI as a staff all the time, almost every day. I do know that that's also one of the use cases and probably one of the categories that care about and are looking for HPC services. So. You know, are you seeing an uptick? Are you seeing growth there for the company? Absolutely. Um, that my background is is entirely traditional technology. A ton of time spent in uh, in the data center space and traditional infrastructure space. So it was very much a, a natural motion for me when I took over the company to look to diversify into an area that I knew well and really believe. Uh, we're going to see a convergence between this, this kind of traditional Web 2 infrastructure and what's coming uh, and required for the Web 3 ecosystem. And I saw an opportunity for us to lead in that space as a, as a digital asset native company that really, really understands both myself and my leadership team um, how to run high performance compute infrastructure and assets. Uh, and we've seen a huge uptake in demand for really exciting um, proof of concepts around AI and machine learning. We already have an existing customer base that includes uh, companies from from that space in our data centers mm-hmm. today. But where we see these uh, new business models and new companies coming in uh, and testing out our infrastructure, we have invested in some really unique and scalable infrastructure specifically for this space and ecosystem that we're partnering with the community to help us stress test and and try out some some new models with. And we see it we see continued uh, demand coming out of that. Um, the AI space and really the, just the need for more composable, scaled GPU-based compute um, that that can be more flexible as far as how they're building it and how they're using it versus a traditional kind of Web2 GPU type of offering. And then I, I wanted to kind of ask a follow. So there's AI as like, you know, a, a category of clients for the um, HPC services that you guys provide, but then are there any AI applications in mining? Like, are you guys looking at this as a way to try and augment what you do within Bitcoin mining? Uh, well, one of the interesting parts or components of, of this pending merger with, with USBTC, uh, one of the really unique offerings that they have within their portfolio, they have kind of four lines of business, if you will including um, managed infrastructure operations, which is where they actually go into third-party owned sites and run them on behalf of Mm. another entity. So almost like a professional services type of business, but what makes their offering so unique is they have purpose-built software that allows them to control, um, control miners right at a miner or hardware level. To, to manage both uh, repair and maintenance of, the, of that equipment, but also to be able to directly um, manage their, their power draw or curtailment at a minor level. And, and that, uh, that software stack that they have was built in-house. They have an in-house software development team. Um, and so I can't get into the specifics of, of everything that they, that they have, but that offering is, is one that we think is 
very unique. We haven't seen anything else quite like it. And I think there's a, a ton of potential uh, as we as we get to the other side of, of this transaction um, to really figure out how to scale and port some of that some of that um, proprietary um, IP that they that they're working on embedding in that software to other applications outside of just Bitcoin mining. But um, certainly that's that's a, a a longer roadmap item and, and vision as we as we think about what a world could look like uh, as a merged entity. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to ask more about how the U.S. Bitcoin merger came about. Um, talk to us a little bit, I guess, about the the early days, perhaps the the discussions, like looking at them as a as a target, as as you know, a company you're interested in. Yeah, I'm happy to. So we um, again uh, because we spent so much time in the bull market, uh, really getting prepared in the event that a bear market should come around again in the same way it had historically happened. And, and ultimately that is what we saw. Uh, so we, we had very, very little debt, uh, extremely strong balance sheet. Uh, we've, we've got over 9,000 self-mined Bitcoin on balance sheet, which remain unencumbered. So that, that gave us a lot of optionality as, um, as, things turned in the market in 2022 uh, and I, I've been public that um, that we would continue to look at both organic and inorganic growth opportunities obviously the Terrago transaction which which closed last year was a was our first um, acquisition but we continued to look for the for the right fit um, to in our inorganic in growth strategy. I think for, for me, one of the things that we, we were increasingly looking for was geographic diversification. Mm-hmm. Um, we were and are today, today the only public, scaled publicly traded miner that is entirely uh, Canadian based. So our, mm-hmm. our HPC data centers are all in Canada, our mining sites are all in Canada. Uh, and it became more important as we thought about long-term uh, long-term scale and, and increased diversification that we added that geographic layer to it. So we were we were really looking at the right partner that would give us a presence south of the border. Um, and for me, uh, cultural fit is is also really really important to bring entities together where you, kind of you're like-minded in your vision. I thought I wanted to make sure that the teams would be able to to meld well together. I've known Mike and Asher for a long time and really respect kind of what they've built, their drive. We're also aligned with um, with our vision that diversification is important, and they've built out built out a diversified business as well, albeit in a slightly different way than how we've built our business out. So when you really looked at bringing the companies together, it was. Um, it was very synergistic. There isn't a lot of overlap, but our our strategy, our values, our culture are are very much aligned. So in the kind of in the sea of potential dance partners out there, they really rose to the top as the one that I thought was the most accretive um, to to both businesses long term and brought. Um, we each bring strengths to the table that are that are complementary with very very little overlap. Can we, uh, Jamie, talk about Texas specifically, and, and maybe you can just um, give us a little bit of the history of what's going on there because it, it felt like sort of all of a sudden it was a huge mining hotspot. Uh, now, just today at, at, at Decrypt, we have a story about the Texas Senate bill that seeks to slash incentives uh, for Bitcoin miners. You know, is that sort of becoming the focus when it comes to the U.S. And is there a reason that um, you know that that area of Texas became such a, a Bitcoin mining hotspot amid the bull run? Well, I think um, the the state of Texas obviously was very uh, open for business, as it were, to, for Bitcoin mining. They have a very uh, unique power structure, um, in that they're they have an independent grid, obviously, and they also have um, in West Texas, in particular, a a, a lot of. Um, renewable assets that are looking for stable base loads like a Bitcoin uh, miner can provide. So I think it was just a really, really nice fit between the needs, uh, the needs of the state and what a Bitcoin miner can uniquely provide as really an industrial scale battery. A Bitcoin mine, unlike a traditional data center workload, where you you never want to shut a traditional data center down. Part of part of the requirement for for an enterprise data center is that um, you've got 
exponential levels of redundancy, generator backups. You, you, if, a, if a data center goes, goes down, that's an emergency situation. Whereas in a, in a Bitcoin mine, we, we scale up and down within minutes on a regular basis based on um, the, the, the needs of the grid. And Texas has really, really figured out how, how that can be an important component into driving more investment into renewable uh, projects that, that don't rely on other sources of, of funding. So I know with some of the regulatory, I mean, it remains to be seen. We don't know that Texas is going to necessarily roll back some of the incentives for miners. Um, and the other thing, and this is more on the federal level, but now Treasury is proposing that they want to add this 30% excise task, tax on power usage um, for Bitcoin miners. And there's a whole host of other things packed up in there. Uh, I'm wondering if like kind of high level you could kind of compare, contrast the regulatory environment in Canada and the U. We constantly hear, and this is not just, I think, because we're based in the U.S., we repeatedly hear that we've got probably one of the most challenging regulatory environments. I'm curious to hear, you know, how you would characterize things in Canada. Yeah, I think, I mean, I touched on earlier that one of the things you were looking for was geographic diversification. Um, I think this space has so many moving parts. It has become political in a variety of different areas. Um, in Canada, similar to the US, we have um, we have a federal regime and then and then provincial uh, provincial re regimes that aren't necessarily all aligned, just like the states aren't all aligned in in uh, their view of, of crypto or of mining in particular. And um, so I think we have challenges on our side of the border that might be different from what's happening in the U.S., but I think broadly the zeitgeist is challenged across North America, and I would argue probably globally for the most part. We continue to to struggle with regulatory clarity, and that and that's one of the things that I think we are aligned on as public companies in the space, whether it's um, you know Coinbase or or miners or. Um, some of the other smaller public companies, what we really are focusing our attention and efforts on is getting regulatory clarity, working with with um, with regulator regulators and the kind of all levels of government to drive education so that we can we can help promote thoughtful regulation that doesn't discourage innovation. We we think regulation can actually lead to uh, to better in innovation to more investment. Um, but I think we're those those we're a little bit behind the eight ball when it comes to educating and having the right conversations. And as a result of that, we we are seeing um, regulation that's not particularly uh, helpful on both sides of the border. So I don't think Canada is immune. I just think our challenges are are a little bit but different today. But that could that could change tomorrow, and and that's true for the U.S. as well. We'll be right back after this. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Yeah, when, when you talk about education, that's a good keyword, uh, a good segue for us into a number of other topics. I mean, one is just the ongoing debate uh, around Bitcoin and its energy use and its environmental impact, you know, which is something that not just the actual mining companies, but kind of everyone in Bitcoin has fought for years. And it's something that, you know, it's always hard for us, even when we try and write about it, because depending on what source you go to for data or research, it's very hard to find someone who's completely neutral. You know, you either get data that says uh, everyone's wrong and they're a hater and the critics are wrong and and uh, Bitcoin mining actually is wonderful and it uses mostly renewable energy. Um, and then you find that that data comes from, you know, a firm that invests in crypto versus you get data saying it's terrible and it uses this much energy as much as some small country. And then it's like from a group that, you know, is anti-crypto and thinks crypto is a scourge. So it can be hard to kind of talk about and even... Um, uh, 
neutral terms. But all that said, uh, how do you sort of approach this issue? I guess I'm also asking about like the optics and PR problem that that everyone in Bitcoin mining has to kind of worry about. Yeah, I mean, I think as an industry, we it continues to be a challenge for us. Um, I was I was part of the the group back in May of uh, 2021 that that initiated the Bitcoin Mining Council, um, which we've now been putting out uh, data on a quarterly basis. Um, we represent over 50% of the global the Bitcoin mining industry globally, uh, and we collect and share the data on the energy sources that that we're using. So the the latest um, report that came out from the BMC said about 58.5% of the energy being used uh, by members of the of the Bitcoin Mining Council comes from renewable sources. But I think um, as much as much as we share that data and publish that data, and that data is incredibly relevant, and and it differs from other industries that aren't transparent about their energy use. It's easy to see how much energy is used by Bitcoin miners because it, it's publicly available information, whereas you can't see how much energy is used by the traditional fiat banking system or by um, hard metal mining, as an example. So we see we see our energy use really as a as a feature of proof of work and one of the reasons that it differentiates Bitcoin from all other blockchains. Um, but it is something, regardless of whether we can prove that we use more renewables than any other industry, the debate then has changed to is Bitcoin worth any energy at all? And that becomes a conversation about does Bitcoin have value? And and I think that's where uh, we need to do a better job of, of driving that conversation because it's really, if Bitcoin has value, that's a, that's a different conversation from, from the energy use. We don't talk about how much energy the gaming industry uses for an example, for, as an example, or whether video games have value to the broader population. We just, we accept that we know, we assume that that's a lot of energy, but we don't have a value debate about it. So I think Bitcoin and its energy use is is unique in the debates that we're, that, that we're having. And I think we, we really need to do a better job of, of articulating the value proposition um, around Bitcoin and, and why, why Bitcoin is so important for uh, for society in general, and that that drives us into a conversation really about um, about the unbanked and what what Bitcoin brings to um, to individuals that are facing you know extreme extreme debasement that don't have access to the traditional banking system, and that's really what Bitcoin was was born to solve for. It's not a it's not a speculative trading asset that that doesn't serve a purpose to you know your average um north american resident uh, so i think i think that's that's where we need to spend more time is is what bitcoin brings to to the global community that is so valuable and differentiated from any other store of value that exists today you're certainly right that you know and i say this a lot whatever the total energy use is well, how much is too much, you know? So right. really the debate isn't um, where do we draw the line? It's like, do you think that it's worthwhile enough to allow whatever the energy use is? Um, and I like your example, the gaming industry, it's better than what we usually hear is Christmas tree lights and dryers. People say those use a lot of electricity and we don't talk about them. And I mean, that's true, but I just, th those are kind of the same ones that people trot out. So the gaming industry is another good example. Um, just as a follow-up, I mean, we're always interested in kind of the optics here and the narratives and um, the reputation of the space. Uh, we did a lot of great coverage. This was already like over a year and a half ago of what happened in uh, Seneca Falls, New York, um, where Greenage had an operation and local residents were convinced that, you know, the Bitcoin mining operation was heating the lake um, and, and there wasn't good data on it. But I just want to use that as a way to ask you, like, do you guys have a process when you go into a new area? Do you do any um, local community kind of education to try to make sure that uh, you don't see a reactionary uh, resistance from people just saying, oh, I've heard this Bitcoin mining stuff is bad and we don't want it here in our town. I, I think broadly as an industry, we do work um, closely with communities at all levels, certainly ourselves, um, our, our sites in, um, in Canada, Medicine Hat's our largest site. We've got 67 megawatts available to us in the city of Medicine Hat. The city of Medicine Hat is also 
an independent power authority. So we, we get our power directly from the city. We're one of the largest, actually, I think we're now the largest taxpayer of the city. We've brought in a number of jobs to the city. So we work very, very closely with our community constituents, um, whether, that's, um, whether that's city council and the mayors all the way up to our provincial government and our federal government. That's, that's certainly being a, a good community member is, is part of what we see as an, a, something that we need to do as a company and, and as a good corporate citizen. We're one, of, we're one of the few, if not the only crypto miners um, that's, that publishes an ESG report every year. We have targets that we hold ourselves accountable to. We have standards that we hold ourselves accountable to. Um, and then, and we, report, we report on them annually, um, which I think is, is a really important first step. There isn't, um, again, there's no, um, there's no regulatory framework for our industry. So we're, we're kind of putting our best foot forward and, uh, and hoping that over time we'll we'll get more more clarity that allows us to um, to be good corporate citizens and and held accountable to standards that uh, that are widely accepted. I wanted to ask, and this is a, a slightly different take on the whole, uh, I guess, environmental and renewable energy topic. Um, what are you seeing in renewables that makes you excited that you're, you know, hoping, you know, okay, year or two down the line, I'm really excited to see how X plays out. You know, what are you seeing in that industry that you think is really going to help, you know, spur growth and change in mining? Uh, I think there's so much exciting stuff happening um, in that world. Like when we see flare gas capture, uh, when we see waste methane, um, those types of projects where not only uh, are we using, you know, what renewable sources of, of energy, but we're actually able um, to to drive projects that 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 capture CO2 and actually eliminate uh, negative pollutants from the environment. That it, there's so much exciting innovation happening in that space that is that is funded by the community we're not we're we're driving this type of innovation which is which is self-funding it's not dependent on on subsidies it's not dependent on any any other sources the industry itself is motivated to find the cheapest sources of energy and so their waste energy is of course by its nature a, a, a low-cost source of energy and uh the the innovation that we're seeing come in that space is for for me by far the most the most exciting uh, new frontier and I think we're still very very early days uh, on where that is ultimately going to take us. I I know that I think I guess for the layman when they're thinking about renewables I think the first couple that usually come to mind are like solar wind and hydro. Um, I've talked to like other mining execs and they said hydro is great, but there's only so much hydroelectric, you know, energy you can get from any one area. And of course, it winds up being that, you know, the people who already live there, right. um, you know, a lot of these companies are trying to put them first. And then, you know, the mining companies have to kind of line up to try to get whatever's left. Um, so for the others, and I'm curious about wind and solar, are they really viable? I've heard repeatedly that solar's just not really there yet where it can generate enough to be a serious solution for mining companies that that want to go ahead and run like you know an industrial size warehouse of rigs well the challenge with any intermittent power source is that it's intermittent so you you can't depend entirely on wind and solar because the wind doesn't blow all the time and the sun doesn't shine all the time and we don't have um we don't have batteries that can bridge the difference today or an economic model where you can be entirely dependent on an intermittent power source um so that that is the challenge with wind and solar i think the opportunity which is one of the things that they're capitalizing on, um, doing a great job of capitalizing on in, in Texas, is a miner uh, allows for renewable projects to always have a stable offtaker. So regardless of if the wind's blowing and it's not peak demand on a grid, it, that wind can still be monetized by a stable offtaker such as a Bitcoin miner. So working together with the local community and the local grid operator with a miner, which again, 
as we talked about earlier, a miner is really an industrial scale work loader and industrial scale battery because it can power up and down and increments on in such a rapid fashion, unlike traditional scaled um, power loads. So that's, I really think that's the opportunity of Bitcoin miner if, if it's working in conjunction with, um, with the, the development of renewable projects, it can help create a more stable funding source for that, that ultimate um, power being generated. Jamie, um, you guys with this merger are only just starting to, you know, go from, from Canada to also the U S. Uh, so this is down the road, but when you look globally, are there other countries that, you know, if you guys could set up shop anywhere, they're especially appealing. I mean, we hear obviously about a lot of, uh, facilities in, in cold places, but you know, all over the world and, and Stacey and I have covered crypto for long enough that we remember when, you know, some huge portion of the world's mining was all uh, in Asia. And obviously that is not the case anymore. And, and the U.S. kind of surged as a result of the crackdown there. But where would you look next? What's the next frontier for you guys? Uh, well, I think we still take advantage of Mother Nature's cooling uh, with our Canadian operations using free air cooling in a, in a cold climate. But if you if you look at the proliferation that we've seen in, in Texas, um, where it's just that's obviously a, a hot, dry climate. Um, but we're seeing on the technological advancement side, um, immersion technologies and hydro-cooled technologies that, that are, are now at price points that, that make a business case work. So um, that cold climate requirement is, is, less, um, is less necessary in today's, with today's uh, hardware infrastructure. Um, I think one of the things that's really exciting uh, about, again, the US BTC had a merger, the line of business that I touched on that they've built out with managed infrastructure operations where they, they actually go in and uh, run and operate the site for third parties. I think that business has grown significantly for them in a really short period of time. And as, as we see more and more uh, broad global interest and investment in Bitcoin mining operations being stood up, one of the things that, um, that has yet to scale is the, the, the talent and the, the available resources that actually know how to effectively run these operations. So I think there's a, there's a really interesting market that will continue to grow for this professional services line of business where people that really understand the space and have built software that allows uh, for optimization of these sites. I think that business is really exciting and there are no borders to the applicability uh, for, for that, that line of business in particular. And when I think about um, geographic expansion down the road, um, where would the next most interesting geography be? It's really difficult to say, I think, the regulatory environment certainly plays plays into that in a more meaningful way. We see a lot of really really interesting um, uh, innovation coming out of out of Dubai and the UAE. They're very very um, focused on on driving uh, an open ecosystem that that supports uh, blockchain and crypto actively and and we we certainly we certainly see a lot of great uh, innovation coming out of, out of that space and again from a mining perspective um the climate is less important so i would say nothing nothing is off the table but we we certainly look for um regulatory environments that are in favor of of the technology and supporting the ecosystem and always with an with an eye towards renewable sources. I think one of the areas we haven't touched on is is nuclear. Nuclear really uh, an emission-free uh, power source that also needs a stable a stable base load, a stable offtaker. And as we look for um, as we look to the future with more and more um, SMRs being built out, I think I think there's a future where nuclear plays a really interesting role in, in the mining in the mining space. Uh, but it's still, still early days for that. Man, Dubai is a real example of how things have changed and that you don't need cold weather anymore. <laughs> it, it's very, very true. There, there, there's some fascinating um, advancements happening over there, um, immersion, hydro. 
I'm so happy we're talking about some of the energy stuff, which can feel like it's a little bit of a hot button topic for us, like we were saying before, but it's just interesting hearing how many different things are happening. I want to quickly touch on you talking about kind of like, I guess, the the talent pool for people who are running these big spaces and data centers, because I remember asking somebody about this back when I first started covering crypto, and I think he thought I was asking, okay, who's picking up a shovel and doing the mine? Like, right. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> talk to me a little bit about where you wind up sourcing, you know, human talent from, because this is not, you know, an industry that's completely devoid of humans. You do still need people to come in and help set these places up and figure out how to efficiently run them. And it kind of feels like the name of the game is figuring out how to most efficiently run your rigs. Absolutely. Um, so where are you getting those people from? Like, do these wind up just being people who, you know, we're already working in data centers and then they just kind of need to adapt to figure out how to run one if it's mining Bitcoin? It, it, it depends. It's you're, you can't, you can't hire people from a traditional schooling environment that have learned anything about Bitcoin mining operations. I, I'm not aware of any course that exists today. So broadly, you're finding people that have either a, a technical background or an electrical background and, and you're, you're, and have an interest or an aptitude um, in crypto, and then you're you're really doing on the on the job training. There there's no other way to do it. So you're luckily we've we've been around a long time. We've got we've got great in-house talent that can uh, that can skill up new people that come on board. But it is really really difficult if you were uh, looking to start a new mining company and you wanted to scale quickly the talent is incredibly hard to find my you would most likely have to go and poach it from an existing scaled miner it's it's just a really really small talent pool which again is why i think there's uh, so much interest and and such an exciting market to be developed from this kind of professional services line of business and it, and when you um when you embed this, the proprietary software stack that can do a lot of it in an automated fashion that's already been uh, built out and stress tested in an industrial scaled environment, I think um, it, that's one of the of our, you know, in a post merger world business lines that um, that has has a ton of potential and really services a, a need in the market that um, that is has previously just not not been serviced at all. And then I want to quickly jump back. This is kind of related um, to the high performance computing bit. I, that's kind of been, I remember, and this is certainly not new HPC, but I remember hearing a lot of it and it, it be mentioned and it was working its way into earnings reports a lot last year. Of course, when, you know, miners were really struggling and they're looking for ways to diversify their revenue. Um, so I wanted to take a step back and kind of like ask you to, you mentioned before you guys have lots of existing clients for HPC, but walk us through some of the other categories that are in there. I know we touched on AI already. Yeah, again, because we purchased it as an existing business, it was already broadly uh, diversified. The, the core product lines are co-location, cloud managed services, and the industry um, the industry mix is incredibly diversified. So we've got uh, traditional tech companies, traditional financial services companies. We've got um, a lot of, just because of our locations, two of our locations are in downtown Vancouver, which is a, um, a visual effects hub within Canada. So we have we have a number of customers from from the entertainment and the VFX space, which continues to be a, a high growth area, as well as gaming, obviously, is a corollary to that. Um, so again, when I think about building a business that is more cycle resistant to a traditional Bitcoin mining kind of pure play environment, we we're really looking at at ourselves as a, a future forward infrastructure provider um, across all all forms of, of innovative compute of which digital assets is only a component and really being able to drive um, optionality through through the cycles by being able to flex kind of in and out of the diversified lines I think is critically important and I think we're going to see some really interesting um, growth profiles evolve in the HPC space, uh, if if um, my my vision plays out, which is ultimately a convergence of of these two worlds, and and potentially a place where we're looking at GPU farms that are as 
industrial scaled as what we see today in, in ASIC mining. And, and Jamie, speaking of ASIC mining, it occurred to me it, it might be useful. You know, we're always keeping in mind the the total layperson here just to ask you about where you guys source your rigs, like where you buy or, or uh, get the equipment down to the chips even. So we, um, as, as I, we touched on earlier, we are a repair center at, for MicroBT. So MicroBT is our chosen current generation um, hardware partner in a, in a post-merger world, USBTC works closely with both MicroBT and Bitmain. Um, it really continues to be um, a world that that is dominated by those two manufacturers when it comes to ASICs. There, there are a few other players, and uh, we were hopeful when Intel uh, stuck their toe in the water during the bull market that they that they may may become a player in this space as well, which would bring an interesting uh, new dynamic. And um, we're not sure kind of where that that sits today, but hopefully over time, again, as the industry matures, as we get more kind of broad kind of clarity from a regulatory perspective, I think that will also bring more innovation and investment from a hardware and manufacturer um, ecosystem perspective, which would broadly be be good for the industry. But as it stands today, uh, HUT works closely and almost exclusively with MicroBT just based on, on how our relationship has so successfully evolved over the years. Um, but USBTC, again, working with, with both of the, of the dominant manufacturers. So, so Bitmain is still kind of the elephant in the room when it comes to rigs. I mean, that's been true for years and years, I guess. Yeah, they are they are the the market share leader from an ASIC manufacturing space. Absolutely, um, Jamie. Let's have some fun now. Let's step back uh, as we wind down. We like to not just. I've um... had fun the whole time, Dan. <laughs> we we like to ask people about them. Everyone is also a person, not just a crypto, you know, founder or executive or builder. Um, what are you into outside of crypto? You know, what are your hobbies and what are your interests uh, when you're not focused on growing the the Bitcoin mining business? Uh, well, I'm very blessed to be the mother of two daughters. My daughters are 12 and 14. So uh, between them and my husband and my dog, uh, they are certainly what I like to focus on when I'm not uh, focused on crypto. Although all three. Um, are, have become quite crypto uh, involved over the years. I actually took my daughters uh, with me on a on a trip last fall where we um, I had them involved in a, in a crypto for kids program. Uh, and in fact, we're meeting one of the instructors tonight for for dinner who got them set up with their first wallets. Um, so I think the world's the nice thing about crypto when you're passionate about it, when you love what you do, it tends to bleed into the rest of your life as well. But hopefully, uh, which is which has been true in my case in a in a positive way. Um, part of keeping myself sane, I do uh, I try to do yoga and Pilates every morning just to get my get in the right headspace to tackle whatever might. Uh, might come through the balance of the day, but that's uh, that's it. I mean, I I have the the profound luxury of being able to to travel as part of my work. It's something that we do as a as a family on our personal time. I get to meet tons of of interesting people, and this is an I can't imagine doing uh, work in any other industry. This is it's a blessing. It's a blessing to be in this in this space in this chair leading this company, and uh, I practice a lot of gratitude as a result as a result of that too. I always get excited when we <clears throat> have parents on the podcast. I've got a one-year-old, so not quite at the point where we're thinking about how are we going to introduce him to crypto. So. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, which makes me really curious to know, like, how much are you seeing crypto and blockchain show up in some of the, you know, the STEM education or programs that are out there for kids now? Because I, I think it seems like people are just starting to accept that, yes, this is going to be part of our culture and the way we do things going forward. So you've got to start teaching kids what it means. Well, I, th I mean, my my parenting experience um, bef long before I got into into crypto full time, my kids were already uh, playing Roblox. And so they they were they were introduced to the digital currency on ramp on ramp very early in the form of Roblox has an in game 
um, token, which is called Robux, and at, at their kind of peak um, Roblox gaming years, that's all they wanted for Christmas. So it, it's not a, it wasn't a difficult step uh, with just based on the age of my, of my children uh, and kind of how they were naturally raised as um, part of the digital ecosystem. Crypto, they probably understood a digital asset better than, the, I mean, they don't even use cash, but when I think about um, what they what they were spending their early allowances on it was it was to go to an in-game currency or, or a digital token has that made you an nft believer of sorts you know when we talk about in-game items um and it, that's a fun thing to ask you know a, a bitcoin person per se so i'm not a bitcoin maxi i i love bitcoin but i um i have certainly dabble in other tokens as well projects that i that i like um i think ultimately we're going to see the digitization of everything um digitization of, of real world assets i believe is an inevitability i am a big believer in um in using digitization to drive um different economics for artists and creatives. And I think as much as the NFT craze came with, with a hype cycle that's probably not long-term sustainable, uh, the, the value proposition at its core of being able to drive um, better fundamental economics for creators isn't going to go away. I think I think that that is a really, really exciting part of the space. And and then once you get out of just creative and, and start thinking about um, all the digitization of all assets and, and a world where like Bitcoin trades 24 hours a day, seven days a week in every corner of the globe, um, why can't I trade anything else 24 hours a day, seven days a week? And I think eventually that is just going to be required. Well, Jamie Leverton, thank you so much for coming on and being our first mining guest. My <laughs> um, pleasure. It's an honor. The last. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll definitely be keeping an eye on you and Hi8 and look forward to see what you guys do next. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Happy to come anytime. Thanks, Jamie. Good fun. That's our show today. Thanks for listening. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to GM wherever you podcast. And if you head to our website, decrypt.co, you can find the full videos of every interview with every guest. Finally, we have a Telegram room for our loyal GM listeners. The address is t.me slash GM podcast. If you pop in there, you can get direct access to the co-hosts. You can suggest future guests, submit comments, and ask questions. It's t.me slash GM podcast. GM. GM.